0: Uh, We've been talking about saints and um, saints of the church, And, and saints are this great gift that the Roman Catholic Church gave to the Protestant Church. And Saints are those people that were recognized by the church as people whose lives merit our imitation. They lived a life that was faithful, and they give us a sense of what it might be for us to live a similar life. And I got to thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if we thought about how those saints prayed and what they prayed, and use that as part of our example of how to live our lives. So we've talked about saints for, I think, five weeks now. We're going to make a shift today, and that is this, that um, because the the Protestant church broke off from the Roman Catholics 500 years ago, we haven't been sainting any Protestants since then. Uh, But there are still people whose um, life uh, is worth imitating. And so, we're going to talk about two of them, one this week and one next week. This week, I'm going to talk about John Wesley, who is the founder of what we know as the Methodist Church, but it's not just the Methodist Church. The Salvation Army and uh, the Nazarenes, the, the uh, um, Assemblies of God, all of these have their roots in the origins of the Methodist Church. Wesley wrote some wonderful theology. It's what I subscribe to the most. Uh, but he also writes a prayer, well, let me just be upfront. Often people say that this is John Wesley's prayer. Truth be told, it's probably a prayer that somebody else wrote. And so, it's usually called um, a covenant prayer in the Wesley tradition. We're going to ascribe it to Wesley today, uh, but actually it, it fits with his theology. So, we're going we're to look at that today. Um, next week, Greg's going to have Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr and I have a lot in common. We went to the same seminary together, (laughs) about 40 years apart. (laughs) But uh, Greg will tell you a lot. Reinhold's an interesting guy. You'll find him, uh, uh, some of the information you get to learn, uh, fairly interesting next week. We're going to look at um, the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter. I'm going to read 36 to 39. That might be different than what you have in your bulletin, but it's close enough. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Matthew and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we think about the life of Jesus, one of the things that is so important for us to recognize, uh, vitally important for us to understand— that he was just as human as he was divine, okay? He was fully, he had every life experience like you. He was fully human. He was also God, and and, and we got to hold that intention and and not be um, overwhelmed by trying to fit all of that together, but to recognize it's the case. So in his divine nature... Less than 24 hours before he's nailed to the cross, he knows he's headed that way. And so he celebrates the last supper, and we'll do that later in the service. He celebrates the Lord's Supper, that last supper with his followers, and then immediately goes from there to Gethsemane. Now, he goes to the Mount of Olives, and there was a private um, orchard. It's an olive grove. It's not really a garden, but they call it the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an olive grove that he goes to, a, a private part of the Mount of Olives, for a time of prayer. And in that prayer, his full human side comes out because he's about to die the most miserable death that anybody survive, that, that anybody survive, anybody goes through. He he's go, it's going to start with being whipped. I mean, scourged and, and, and beaten and spat upon and a crown of thorns thrust on his head. And then to carry the cross member of the cross through the streets until he gets to the place where they nail him to the cross. The divine side knows this, and the human side is not yet all in. I mean, who would be? Uh, who would be excited about that? We've got to recognize that, that he knew as a human being, this is not going to be good. This is going to hurt. And so he goes to this time of prayer where he has to force his personal human will to comply with God's will. Knowing full well that just over the top of the hill, the Mount of Olives, just over the top of the hill and down on the other side is Bethany, where he would be welcomed if he'd go there. How do we know? Because he raised Lazarus from the dead there. I'm thinking he has some friends there. He could have escaped this. And that had to be a temptation. Because which one of us goes forward looking ahead to, boy, I can't wait to suffer? He prays a prayer, I think, to convince himself, "God, not what I want, what you want. not my will, your will." It's, it's part of the image of Christ that, that is so um, so difficult for us to appreciate and move forward into. The sense of, of our free will, I can do what I want," versus a full devotion to the will of God. I think that the Wesley Covenant Prayer begins to push us toward that sense of that total devotion to God's will, for our lives. I want to read it through one time. Um, uh, You have that card, but that card is in an Old English, and I think it's really good to read Old English once in a while. I can't read the book, I can't read Psalm 23 without reading it in Old English, right? And I think that's the truth about this prayer, but let me read it in, somebody wrote a modern-day translation of it. Let me read it in that way. Later, at the end of the sermon, we're going to read it together. But let me just read this for you. The words will be up there, but this is a modern-day translation of the same prayer. "...I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you, or set aside for you, praised for you, or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing." I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. It's a prayer of a a total sacrifice. And, And it might be worth asking the question, if God wants us to have a free will... Why a sacrifice? Well, I believe God's desire for you is to live in a loving relationship with Him. But we define love as the willingness of Jesus of Nazareth to set aside His human desire for self-protection in favor of sacrifice to become your Savior. It's a costly relationship we have with God. Because it cost God his son. And God's asking you to make a similar sacrifice, that of your will in favor of his. But be clear. Understand this. That the one who created all that we know, all of creation, created you. As a species and each one individually. God created you. And One of the things that I hold dear to my heart is if God created me, God knows what's best. God God knows what it's like to live the life we have. And and God understands, I think, that most of us don't start where that prayer is. Most of us have to convince ourselves of it when we pray it. We don't start at 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 that high place, but rather we have to kind of climb up to it. It takes a a lifetime for some of us. Some of us, I I think some people come to faith for the first time and they are miraculously just exactly like that prayer. And then there's the other 99% of us who who some maybe grew up in church and you've never really thought this through because it's just kind of been like the water you're swimming in, you know, like a fish that says, what water? Or maybe you came to faith again as an adult or you came to faith later as an adult and it just takes a while to work it in I'd love to I'd love to try to think of a, a great metaphor for, to help you think about uh, taking a, a step wait a minute be right back of this as I'm just throwing things now it worked in practice this is where we're headed this is complete and total submission to the will of God and we're, we're all somewhere down on a lower rung most of us most of us when we start out and th- this might describe the description I'm going to give it's like everybody in this room and everybody watching online and I'm still out of breath I'm trying to get, <laughs> So some of us start out most of us start out exploring faith trying to figure out you know, what's this Jesus thing mean for me What are we asking for? I'm not sure this is right for me, but I'm willing to check it out. I'm willing to explore it. Willing to see, you know, is, is there a part of this that makes sense for my life? And then there's a step in faith where we make the decision that Christ is right for our life. It's, it's the, oftentimes the difference between here and here is called salvation. When we decide to, to commit our life to Jesus Christ, we're not here yet, but it's the first commitment we make. I've explored it, I've checked it out, I'm willing to take a step. We confess Christ as our Savior, put our whole trust in His love for us, well, most of it, as much of it as we can muster. And then we begin growing in faith, growing to get a little closer to that image of Christ. That, that, that's what God, that's the way God created us from the beginning. That's what God thinks is best for us, because God made us, God knows. So we're growing in that. We're beginning to, to try to figure out how to, how to work that into our daily life, how to make that work for us. And I made this word up, because I like the ING part that's going to go through most of it, nearing, theologians make up words all the time, trust me on this, you're growing nearer to Christ, you've jumped in you have a place to serve, you're, you're, you're reading scripture, or maybe you're in a Bible study, you're praying regularly, you've, you've decided, okay, I want to get nearer to the image of Christ in my life. I'm not there yet. I confess I'm not there yet. I want to get nearer. I'm not where I once was, but I'm not where I need to be. And I recognize that. And I'm beginning to put forth the effort. And then you're centering your life on Christ. Ron Watts, the pastor at LaCroix Church down in in, uh, Cape Girardeau, Ron Watts said that the difference between this and this, between nearing (laughs) and centering, is that nearing we're we're asking the question, we're saying, God, here's what we're going to do. Please bless it. And at centering we're asking the question, God, what do you want me to do that you're already blessing it's the difference between seeking to do something that glorifies God and seeking to do the things that are already glorifying God. It's, it's taking a, a, a turn in the will to go from, not my will, but yours. These are, these are people, so there was a study done that, that created these sort of categories and, and um, it, it he created this, that was the last one. That was the people that are like Christ. But but I, I've known a few of these people. I don't claim it for myself. I've known a few of these people that are that are so close to Christ you can hardly tell the difference. And you know what they tell you? They got so far to go. And so I recognize that that the people who are who are centering their life on Christ still feel like there's a Christ-like sense that they haven't reached yet. They're not there. They're working on it. They're moving that way. You know what Wesley calls this process? From here to here is called justification or salvation. From here to here is called sanctification. It is growing in Christ. Sanctification means to be made holy or to be made like Christ, to grow into the image of Christ. So how do you get there? How do you make that happen in your life? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God made that easier than what I just said? (laughs) Because I don't want to try to figure it out on my own. I know that I've tried things before that just don't work for me, especially depending on where I am. And so let me give you some ideas on how you take a step how you step up closer. Think about where you feel you are in this. doesn't matter where you, where, it doesn't matter what I think you are. It matters only where you think you are. For every step along the way, there are two things that you need to work with the whole way. The first is prayer. Prayer is the language of your relationship with God. The second is to get to know your Bible. If you want to know how to be Christian, referring to the owner's manual might be a good idea. And then, depending on where you are, there are things that you can do that will help you. None of the things that I will mention will hurt you, Along the way. So if you're engaged in something and you say, say you know, you talk about that one up here and I'm down here, doesn't matter, it's okay. But there are certain things that you can do that will help you grow in your faith. So if you are exploring Bible study and prayer, but also weekly worship, that's a big one today, especially post COVID. But it was already moving that way where where the general thought was, I can go to worship once in a while. Not if you want to grow in your faith. I mean, if you want to stay where you are, that's fine. But I love the phrase, God loves you just the way you are and loves you too much to let you stay like that. God wants you to grow in your faith. Weekly worship is important to faith growth. Now, I'll, I'll admit that COVID created a new opportunity, so we have people watching online right now. That is worship. I will also tell you that worship together is more significant. So let me add that challenge to you people joining us online. Worship with others is a part of worshiping. It's important to do. So at least gather your family with you or your neighbors or whomever. And then connect with others through serving and participating in mission opportunities. Now, if you're growing, if you're on the next category up, Bible study and prayer again, weekly worship again. And you might consider adding in a small group, a a study, or a, a Sunday school, a group where you're studying the Bible together. The Bible never was intended to be read alone only, but to be read in a community From the beginning of its writing, it was meant to be read in community. And then also serving in a way that helps others. Whatever that would be, in church, outside of church, serving in a way that helps others. Nearing, that word I made up. Bible study and prayer. Serving, but also leading in your service. And deeper spiritual practices. We're talking about meditation, and we're talking about fasting and others. If you want to meditate and fast here, that's okay. It won't hurt, but it will really advance your faith if you're in this area. It will really help you grow in your faith. And there's other personal spiritual, deeper spiritual practices. That's a sermon series for another time. Centering then Bible study and prayer, serving and, and leading in your service. But this isn't one... That then becomes a little more interpersonal, and that is faith mentoring. Taking the time while you're here to help these people move in their faith, having faith conversations, not a superficial level of, hey, glad to see you in worship today, and end it there. But let's talk about what we talk about in worship by going out to lunch together. Let's, let's, let's talk about what it might mean for you to take the step in faith to commit yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I, I often hear um, um, people at this stage, maybe the others as well, but people at this stage saying, my church doesn't feed me. You know why? Because at this point, you're supposed to be the adult in faith, feeding others. We don't ask the children to feed the adults. We ask the adults to feed the children. If you're at this place in your faith and you say, My church doesn't feed me, it's because that's not the job of the church. It's to help you feed others, to help you find a place to step into a role of leadership to care for others and to talk to them about faith, to encourage them and challenge them. And then, Christ said, or Christ like, uh, when you get to this point, no one will tell you what to do, <laughs> you'll be self guided in your faith. So, how does the church help me get here? How does her church help me grow? Well, Beth already talked about it today. It's in the back of your seat back there. It has this card about journey. On this side, it talks about steps you can take in your journey of faith. If you want to turn it upside down and go with the flow of stepping up, that's okay. But on this side, you, you can use your phone to snap a picture of the, the code there and and then go to the website, our website, where it will help you find a place to get plugged in. Every ministry at Living Word, every place of service, everything we do, you can find at that website. Everything. You can even find who to ask to get plugged into that ministry or mission or Bible study or place of service. Everyone is there in the journey uh, part of the website. If you, if you don't want to do it by phone, you just go to our website, and there's one of those tabs that says Journey. And we even have people who are trained to help you go through that. We call them Journey Coaches. If you'd like that, we provide that for you. I, I, I want to share just a few quotes as I close. One of them is from uh, uh, Reverend David Jeremiah. And David Jeremiah says this, Lord is one of those words used so frequently in Christian conversation that it runs the risk of being used too casually. The Greek word, kurios, can be translated master, owner, or authority. However it is rendered, Lord suggests the one who is in charge, the one whose word is the final authority. Praying this prayer from Wesley makes God your Lord the final authority in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a a young pastor in Germany during World War II, who I think he was 28 or 29 when he was hung in a Nazi prison camp for saying bad things about the Nazis. Bonhoeffer says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Full submission of yourself to the will of God. He also says this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. So, I want to pray this prayer with you. And I I challenge you to pray it every day this week. Just take a moment when you first get up, paste it on your bathroom mirror, what, what, put it at where you eat your breakfast, consider praying this prayer each day and what it might mean for you to take another step in your faith life. Would you pray together with me? I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee Let it be ratified in heaven. Amen and amen.